Everybody, this is Smarten Up, your education in professional wrestling. I am one of your hosts, Stefan Claypool. And I'm your other hosts, Drew Zalitis. Yep. From Smarten Up. Yeah, Smarten Up, Internet's own Drew Zalitis. That's right. Yep. Uh hey, hey Stefan. Uh Hi, Drew. I uh so I I, I might have mentioned this before, but I went I went to a uh a, sh- a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, uh, an all-American wrestling, this AAW out of Chicago, for anyone listening who's in that area. Uh, it was quite good. Uh, you know, it was a small Knights of Columbus uh, in LaSalle, <laughs> Illinois. Uh, so you get that real, you know, low, uh, you know, low-key flavor. Uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about, like, the big stuff, but then there's this, you know, these smaller indie ones. And I, I got to tell you, my... My overall review, and I, overall, I really liked the show, and it was great. I got to meet a lot of the wrestlers and stuff. Uh, is it was a perfect encapsulation of all the great things and all the terrible things <laughs> about professional wrestling, uh, from wonderful, like high flying, innovative matches to a disgusting sort of humor match based around like. A woman in scantily clad, in scantily clad wear, uh, and men like a three-way met, you know, six-way match, uh, six-man tag, and like the guys end up in hilariously awkward sexual positions because oh. men, men in sexual positions are terrible. So it was like, and I was bringing someone who had never been to a wrestling show, and you know. There were parts you really enjoyed, and then there was that part where I'm like, you know, these are these vestiges. I think most people here don't want to see this, but yeah, but it's it was. We do we need the like guy falling into the other guy's crotch, and then the other guy falls on his butt? I mean, it can work once, but this whole match was just built around like sexual like jokes. It, like, it can work once or always if you're Breezango. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this like because one of the guys was like this very large guy who and i have to give him credit like his outfit was suspenders a bow tie oh, no shirt yeah. but and he shaved his chest hair into a heart and that but he had no talent beyond that uh and it's appropriate because we're recording this on valentine's day for <laughs> uh to peel the back the curtain but yeah the whole thing was like oh i'm gonna shove his partner's face in his man boobs and we'll all laugh but i'm focusing too much on the negatives it was a lot of fun uh i have to ask uh did you last time we talked you mentioned that there was going to be someone at this show who was doing a kamala gimmick oh that's right congo kong did did he live Uh, up to expectations oh goodness gracious i mean i'll give credit to the performer i mean he's a monster of a man and he actually is pretty agile. Like he did some top rope maneuvers. They had a like clearing of the audience for him to do a dive onto like four dudes. Oh my god! Uh, and that's pretty great. But like he has a handler uh, who's this like nebbish white guy uh, who I think 
was introduced as Dr. Something. So I think he was supposed to be like an anthropologist who found oh my God. this like creature. And I once I knew that guy was part of it and he's like, you'll like succumb to my monster Kong. I'm like, oh, this is this is getting worse and worse. Oof, that uh, is straight out of like 1987. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something we'll talk about today yep. uh, because I'm going to smoothly transition today. Uh, we are talking about gimmicks uh, and the the savage beast who maybe is sort of handled by uh, a manager of some kind is is a very as you mentioned sort of like uh, classic at least from uh, at least a couple decades ago but apparently it still exists in some corners uh, a trope of a gimmick uh, one of many I'm sure we'll talk about uh, on today's episode that is that was like the smoothest possible segue <laughs> that you could have rolled into it. That's, that's the uh, Ugandan giant of segues. <laughs> so we will, to, uh, to begin our conversation, we will ring the bell. All right, we're in it now. We are in it now. So, Drew, <laughs> the topic of the week is gimmicks. I think we, we touched on this a little bit in our language of wrestling episode, but as a That's refresher right. for, because, you know, when, when you're like doing teaching a course, you got to occasionally put the refresher out there, as, as you know better, better than most. Um, yeah, yeah. Refresh us on what the gimmick is. Yeah, we got a review for the midterm. It's coming up, everyone listening, <laughs> if you didn't know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, a gimmick, you know, you, we all use that term in, in other. Uh, forms of our life uh you know it's it's a hook it's a description you in this case generally for a particular character so if a performer or character has a gimmick it's sort of the you know the encapsulation in as simple as terms as possible of who that character is what is their role what is their sort of motivation? What is their style? Uh, all these sort of things. Um, and uh, they've changed over time. Uh, they've gotten more complex, but in some ways also very simple. Uh, and sometimes a gimmick can be as simple as one word. Like, uh, what's the gimmick? Oh, firefighter. I don't know. He's a firefighter. Uh I was trying to choose one that didn't exist, but it sounds like stuff that existed. There's probably a firefighter at some point. Yeah, but, but like, of, since okay. every job has been a gimmick right. at this point, I think you've done a you've done a good job of finding one that might not have been. Like we've had policemen. Yep, several. and I'm pretty sure there's been doctors and things. I oh, was yeah, like, what's been the dentists? Other- that's right. What's the other like uh, emergency medical per- emergency mm-hmm. profession? Um, yeah. So, or it can be just sort of a more broad, like, description. Oh, he's sort of this mysterious, whatever. So, uh, basically, it's the character. Uh, but you kind of, I guess, in a, like a lot of wrestling, you need shorthand. And sometimes gimmick can be a sort of shorthand for, oh, this is who this character is. So the only thing that I'll, I'll dispute there is right at the end, and Please. that's... Um, thinking about the line between gimmick and character because i think one okay. way of, one way of talking about gimmick is you know is that catch all it's for all intents and purposes the character that you are performing in that encapsulation but there there are wrestlers that i would say lean more heavily on particular gimmicks okay. versus wrestlers that maybe are a little more well rounded and defined as a character so if we think yeah. about um 
you know, uh, one of the the great wrestling characters of the last 25 years would have been someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And yeah. Austin's gimmick, if you would, would categorize it as such, was, well, he drinks beer and he's a badass and he hates his boss. Yeah, um, yeah. the working man. Uh, yeah. yeah, but th- there are... There have been a fair number of wrestlers who were badasses who hated their boss, <laughs> and they didn't okay. come close to to being the character that Steve Austin was. And so, I, I would say maybe the gimmick is the foundation of a character or a presentation, but mm-hmm. over time, particularly when you have a strong performer behind it, you can yeah. see a, a wrestler not necessarily completely leave the gimmick behind, but move it from a sketch or a caricature to more of a realized character. Yeah. I think that's a really great uh, distinction and it, and it gets us to, to a couple of things in terms of the sort of the production of gimmick versus character. And these things as sort of evolution uh, is a mystery. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to hold on to this. Um, I'm, I'm making the note. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think gimmick as a foundation is a good point. Like usually, again, I think, yeah, we think of gimmick as maybe a jumping off point or something that's a lot more like simple. It's almost like a high concept, uh, a term we would use for like a high concept film, right? Like Jaws, there's a the gimmick or the high concept is people are terrorized by a shark, yeah. right? I can tell you what that movie is in one sentence and and – Spielberg and others have talked about this idea of the high concept film. It's like this more simplified, you can get it, but that doesn't mean that Jaws is a simple movie. Like there's a reason people think it's a great movie and it's about more than a shark terrorizing people. So I think it's kind of similar to that in that, okay, I can sort of very easily define this or kind of give a baseline. But as you say, the performer I think is really, you know, are they able to take it further, add more nuance and sort of expand beyond the one word description and sort of start building in and, and filling in some details there? Um, and that speaks to, again, the way these are produced. Often a gimmick is, is you know, especially if you're coming up through a WWE sort of developmental system, it's often just given to you, mm-hmm. Right maybe these things are worked out in concert and you can sort of have some input, but especially back in the day, I think it's a bit looser now and there's more sort of uh, working together between the performer, but it would be like, okay, you're this gimmick now, mm-hmm. see what you can do with it. So it's also like an assignment mm-hmm. uh, like, okay, you know, I'll just use, cause he's in my head right now, uh, Tyler Breeze yeah. uh, from NXT and now on SmackDown. Still my wife's uh, you know, favorite he, wrestler. Oh, I mean, he's amazing. And I can tell you the gimmick pretty easily. His gimmick is Zoolander, yep. right? He is a male model who is full of himself. And that's a pretty straightforward thing. So we can think about all the like ways we can get across a male model. You know, he's like fashion focused. He's very vain. But then you can add details, right? And like... One of the things Tyler Breeze did, the longer that character went, you realized he had this sort of mean streak. It used to just be about he didn't like people hitting his face. And then it was Mm -hmm. like when he did get hit, he would get really angry. And like, you know, 
you know, it sort of evolved a bit further than that. So uh, just as a sort of off the top of my head, but I, I think that's a something we'll want to keep in mind is like, you know, similar to what we talked about with title belts, does the performer make the gimmick or does the gimmick make the character, right? And, uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of both there. Uh, maybe a gimmick is just really over, but not the performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a performer's so good, he makes a bad gimmick work. And like, sometimes you can divide these things up uh, like you could with other, you know, media to be like, oh, I like this part, but not this part. And so I think the gimmick is something we can sort of extract. And I think is what you were getting to. We can maybe extract from character uh, or performer. You hit the nail on the head. And I think when when we think about um, kind of that piece of the character that's at the heart of the gimmick um and and you talk about guys getting assigned gimmicks maybe when they're they're just starting out the the piece of that that really i think is important to focus on is gimmicks are at least at their core they're generally big they're broad they're not nuanced and the reason for that not just to give the performer the opportunity to build it but Wrestling is sports entertainment. It's not just a competition where you see two bland guys step into a ring and they have a match and one of them goes away. You're supposed to entertain. And that means as an individual performer, you need to find ways to draw attention to yourself. And I I think if we want to, if we want to step into the time machine, into the way back machine. The way back machine. We just said it. Turn it on. Open the door. You got it, Peabody. Um, <laughs> it gets so, it oh, so like so we're bad. not even giving it any. But yes, oh, yeah. let's go back. Don't worry, I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cut in the cut in the clip. Um, <laughs> Something much better, yeah. Yes. Um, the the and I think this is a fair enough discussion of gimmick versus character, but the wrestler that you always hear about as being sort of the forefather of the modern gimmick is Gorgeous George, who we've talked yeah. about before. And George as a, a wrestler, you know, was not particularly distinguished in his own way, but his presentation and the way he defined his persona and drew attention to himself by virtue of that set the template for how wrestlers that would follow would conceive of themselves not just as in-ring performers but as characters yeah i mean i definitely think gorgeous george is sort of the first in terms of a type of modern day gimmick or at least uh you know a gimmick in the sense that it's it's emphasized on that performativity and the characterness of it like you know I don't know how much the audiences knew at the time of like, okay, is this what Gorgeous George is actually like, right? Whereas, you know, if there was anything we could even closely call a gimmick before then, and we've talked in the past of like, you know, these early, uh, much earlier wrestlers than than Gorgeous George, who's, uh-huh. you know, who's around the 50s and stuff, you know, it's going to be, oh, he's what ethnicity yeah. or what like you know he's the italian uh, part, wrestler he's right, the german like what wrestler. part of europe is he from or is he like a good old country boy right like mm-hmm. these weren't characters this was literally like sh- like how do i describe this person well he's an he's an italian from new york right and like i mean that was it and it so there wasn't you know I, so we wouldn't really think of it as a gimmick 
because even the term gimmick kind of sounds like, you know, something put on uh, or affected, right? Like an affectation. And so Gorgeous George was sort of like, all right, I'm going to like blow this up. You know, I'm this pretty boy, uh, vain uh, person, uh, effeminate in certain ways uh, that'll really rile people up. Um, and, And as you said, it gets a reaction and sort of, that's the baseline for mm-hmm. like why we need to do this is like, you know, a lot of those other guys can also be really boring. And when we're moving away from competitive, actual comp- competition, you know, uh, you need something else to sort of hold people's attention um, or get people invested, I guess, if it's not so much, you know, who's the best, uh, you know, sport athlete in this in this contest and so yeah you you start getting a bit more of those characters and this doesn't mean you know, it's, and i think it's a very slow process of just sort of people at first just sort of adding maybe blowing up parts of their own personality getting bigger and, and then you start having more of the sort of full-on okay i'm just i am just a character at this mm-hmm. point uh but that i think doesn't really come until really the 80s maybe i mean i think there's yeah. some of that in the 70s the, the uh, next guy it's I can probably think of, not as crazy yeah. yeah the next guy i can think of that would have been even comparable in terms of flamboyance would have been superstar billy graham but even then you're talking okay, about yeah. the late 70s yeah um but the, the sort of the interim in terms of of gimmick though is filled by what you said and that's sort of the the ethnic wrestler you know this this guy is the evil German, you know, the uh, Fritz von yeah. Erich type. This guy is, uh, you know, Mr. Fuji or one of the infinite number of Samoan wrestlers like Peter Maria. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what's their or, gimmick? They're Samoan. Right. Or a sort of, you know, uh, it could also be used as a sort of local favorite, right? Yeah, like Bruno San Martino. Bruno San Martino, who's the longest running, you know, champion forever. You know, he was this Italian in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where there's a large like Italian population. So it's like, you know, uh, the ethnicity could be used both for like being a villain, but also to sort of like reaffirm a particular, uh, you know, and this will certainly come up and we might as well start bringing it up now. Like it's going to be the race uh, angle that will uh-huh. permeate until the present, uh, you know, particularly when you have a history of gimmicks being based in, ethnicity then you also start getting into based in race mm-hmm. um you know uh we'll we'll have time to talk about that and i th- and i'm sure we'll spend more time maybe in a future episode just covering race because there's so much to talk about there but we're we're kind of getting into that area when yeah as you say like you know it's also a place for where some of these you know international tensions are worked out yeah. uh you know, oh, I, if you if we are in America and we are, you know, suspicious of of <laughs> the other, the sort of capital O other, you see that in a lot of the villains, yeah. Um, especially once you get into the Cold War and and Russian Soviet villains. Yeah, and, and that that idea, you know, we, I, I guess you could say um, of of the ethnic or in in some cases the the race based gimmick. This isn't something that's gone away. Um, it, there's oh, yeah. no. different permutations of it and sort of different little flourishes given to it. But going into the 80s, you had the one argument that I've heard is Vince McMahon when building the WWF. Um, 
if you look at sort of the flagship guys that he was putting on the card at the beginning of that, each of them corresponded to a particular nationality. <laughs> Hogan was the big Irish guy. Piper was the uh, the Scottish guy. You had Andre the Giant as France. You had um, yeah. you know, the Iron Sheik. You had Iron yeah. Sheik. Yeah. Her. Um, I, I always mess up the, uh, the Russian gimmicks of the 80s. Was it Nikolai Volkov? Volkov, or... I think, yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, yeah. Oh God. There was because he was kind of with. The he was Sheik. with the Sheik, and then who were the yeah. who were the Russians in the NWA? Was it Ivan Kolov? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But then onward, you know, kind of straightforward. And uh, as an offshoot of that, if again you you think of the uh, the ethnic gimmick as you know, who who is he? He's the foreigner. The uh, the corollary to that is the real American gimmick, the you know, yeah, Hulk Hogan, yeah. Lex uh, Luger, yeah. And I mean, while while we're on this, and this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit in the timeline, but uh, this also raises an interesting point to sort of uh, character alignments. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's the sense that the foreigner is sort of a villain, but then when you have real life sort of political ships. How does that end up changing the sort of good guy, bad guy shifts of those characters, right? And that could be really interesting. Like if you are on good terms with a particular country or bad terms or just characters sort of like, uh, especially once WWE in particular starts becoming an international company, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's the sort of history of no matter their alliance or, you know, their allegiance of being a heel or a face – Canadians are cheered in Canada. Like <laughs> Brits are cheered when they go to the UK. And it and it doesn't matter if you're a bad guy. And and there's and part of that is because of this history of assigning so much to a performer or a gimmick based on where they're from. Like it's like such a crucial it's some at least especially in some of these early days but even till today it's such a crucial part of the story of the character is where they're from. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's kind of, that might be one of the more outdated uh, sort of features of, of, of wrestling as we move into a more globalized society, but it's also reflective. I think of, of, of certain moments. Like if you just go back and look at, okay, who was wrestling who at a particular time, in some ways, that's a good indication of like political uh, uh, international relations at the time. It's not perfect. You shouldn't write your you know political history <laughs> essay based on it, but it's kind of interesting. Like, oh, you know, Hogan's fighting, uh, you know, uh, or Sergeant Slaughter is you know uh, turning on the U.S. Yep. To, to side with uh, the Iron Sheik. Of, of Iraq, right? Which is a whole ridiculous thing. You have this sort of all-American guy, but it's like, oh, this is about, you know, because we're getting into the Gulf War. and like, Guys, I think this is getting political. Right, like, I, like people, everyone's talking about Iraq. We should talk about Iraq. Like, some of it is just a basic level. How can we get into this political conversation? I love that uh, description. Everyone's talking about <laughs> a cool new dance move. Iraq! Yeah. Hey, have you like some 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 intern runs into the <laughs> guys? Have you seen this? 
Listen to this. It's your cousin. <laughs> Saddam Hussein. No, Saddam, it's your cousin, Harry Hussein. Have you heard about this war that's coming? Well, listen to this. It's that. It's basically that. It's uh, There's, again, uh, yeah, there's a lot of history there of, especially the WWE, WWF, uh, let's just say trying to take advantage of certain uh, political moments uh, for better or for worse, more often for worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I still think one, one of the things I think we should hang this over the heads of the, uh, of the listeners for a good long while, but at some point there's gotta be an entire episode about Muhammad Hassan. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's yeah. just, just to, for a quick taste, if you're not familiar, this is sort of, the war on terror version of what I'm talking about. Uh, so like mid two thousands, right? Mm. Like, you know, Bush presidency era of, yeah, a, a sort of, as the name suggests, like middle Eastern, like sympathizer. And uh, yeah, that, that, that almost deserves more, much more time, but yeah. uh, just, just as a good indication of this never goes away. Yep. We, wrestling does not get over this yeah uh but it Rus- wasn't Rusev's, rusev is still a villain primarily because he's from oh. bulgaria oh but i love him, I, I uh, him he so got much. the russian gold star <laughs> I, notice that they don't talk about that much nope. anymore nope. you know nope. let's not talk about putin anymore nope. uh though he was like a huge part of that character they had like images of putin on the screen yeah. So the the sort of ethnic gimmick is is one of the primary historical. Yeah, we're kind of getting off. We'll it. we'll come back to pol. We'll we'll table politics There's and wrestling so for another there. era. But we're yeah, uh, gimmicks get there. So yeah. foreign gimmicks, ethnic gimmicks. I think started a bit more innocent, but then kind of got in terrible ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> try to tighten it up there. Yeah. I, I would say the probably the next piece of the gimmick pie that came out or the one that immediately comes to mind is the um, kind of the occupational gimmick. So this, this is particularly came of age in the eighties where you had, uh, you know, wrestlers who were defined uh, by a particular type of job. And, and drew, you mentioned earlier, uh, the police officer, Axe Smokey, my firefighter character. Axe Smokey. Axe Smokey. <laughs> yeah. Um, Johnny Blaze. No, he's a ghost rider. Um, <laughs> nope, nope. Nope. Can't do that. Um, Nicholas Cage. But yeah, uh, you, you, had, you had characters like the Repo Man, like the Big Boss <laughs> Man, like Duke the Dumpster Droz, um, uh, who, who were defined the, by their jobs, ostensibly. Yeah, yeah the Mountie. The Mountie. His name was the Mountie. That's the time that he's the Mountie is our link between the ethnic and the occupational. <laughs> he is, the he is an upon occupation which the turns. that right that is tied to his nationality. He was a Mountie. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll pose this question to you: Why do we kind of get this, particularly in the eighties? I mean, my gut says it has something to do with like the sort of push for more children and like family friendly entertainment, or is that oversimplifying it? I, it's, it seems that 
like as you even said it there like and suddenly occupations were the big thing it seems like a a weird jump i I think it's it's a couple (laughs) things one wrestling as a general statement paints in broad strokes i think in the 80s the strokes were as broad as they have ever been um and for all of culture yeah yeah i mean look at look at 80s fashion (laughs) listen to 80s music yeah yeah. um there was i think at that point in time going back to the the idea of the gimmick what's the gimmick supposed to do it's supposed to make you stand out and in the wwe uh wwf at the time the characters were as colorful and cartoony as they had ever been. I mean, Macho Man Randy Savage was a relatively subdued and serious wrestler <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I, but maybe that's part of it, too, that sort of cartoonishness. Again, maybe children, but also uh, to speak to an episode we already had before, you know, changing in media, you know, uh, you know, television, television is much more important now. now. You've got, you got cable television coming now. So, so you, know, you know, it's also like we got to be loud, loud to sort of like, of like you know, you know, match, match up with the other, other stuff on stuff on game, right? Right. Uh, uh, you know, wrestling responds to politics, but it also it also responds to the larger, larger culture. It's like it's like you know, we got to we got to be that big and loud, right? Right. You know, and jobs and options are also like. You see, you the, see guy, the guy, you look at his you outfit, outfit, you know who he is. Right? Exactly. Like uh, when, when, well, maybe not for the Repo Man, but when... <laughs> he looked more like the Hamburglar. Like, <laughs> if you're not... Right? He, no, he totally did, yeah. He, didn't he had, the, had the domino thing. mask on and everything. Yeah, he... Oh. he he was always rabble rabbling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that, that, that was the big, big his big catchphrase. The fans would cheer, <laughs> rabble, rabble, rabble. Oh, no. God, if only. Um... But no, like guys like Tugboat, for instance. What's a gimmick? <laughs> He's a Tugboat captain. Uh, uh, I mean, even yeah. even to some degree, uh, in his original conception, The Undertaker was kind oh, yeah. of an occupational gimmick. What, what's his job? Well, he's an Undertaker. undertaker. He, he's an yeah. Old West Undertaker, but he's, right. you know, he's, he's still an Undertaker. And his, yeah. man, his manager is also, he's an Undertaker. <laughs> he's a yeah. Musician. Yeah. Yeah, um, named Paul Bear, God. which oh, love it. Because you also a lot of these, especially in the '80s, you also have the pun names, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is always great. Uh, no, I mean obviously the greatest pun name of an occupational perfect is obviously Doctor Isaac Yankum, DDS, the dentist character uh, f- played by the current Kane by Glenn, Glenn Jacobs, Glenn Jacobs yeah. himself, who's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Isaac Yankum yeah. DDS again. That's but again pun names. Oh, pun, pun names. So, so, occupational but, gimmicks. So also like hard to take these seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you have that, and that's interesting in the eighties because and not everyone again had these gimmicks, but like that's also like that was part of McMahon's sort of like variety show mm-hmm. uh, mo. Uh, which is also why, like, you know, sometimes it was tough for those guys to, like, climb up the card. Like, it's hard to be a main eventer when you're, like, entirely defined by your job. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the goon was not going to be main eventing. Right. Going the clown Uh, was not going to be main eventing. I guess unless, like, hockey took off. (laughs) They maybe would have hot-shotted him up. Um, But, you know, 
I don't know. Sometimes the villains would, you know, Hulk Hogan fought the Dungeon of Doom and that mm. was like uh, full of ridiculous characters. So, um, yeah, those ended up of... being more mythological than occupational. Yeah, the Dungeon of uh, Doom, I feel like, is uh, you could write a master's thesis on the Dungeon of Doom <laughs> and everything that was going on there. That was yeah. the... it's rare to find that perfect object where everything that can go wrong does go yeah. wrong. And that's, and I think that's another thing we could discuss beyond just occupational gimmicks, but also the sort of like, I guess you could say, uh, genre gimmicks. Yeah, totally. Or the sort of like gimmicks based on other cultural objects, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that again are sort of reflective of the time. And I'm sure there are better examples, but the one that's just sort of sticking out in my mind because of its sort of ridiculousness and failure and i'm sure there are more successful ones but i'm thinking uh uh mortis yes and i was gonna say uh, glacier and glacier i was forgetting the ice one um in wcw in the 90s this was a direct and the reason it probably failed because it was so blatant attempt at like mortal combat is huge let's just make some like ninja mortal combat characters and we'll have Glacier instead of Sub-Zero. Like, that's super obvious. But that's, again, like the ethnic thing. It still comes back today where you'll have gimmicks that are, like, trying to, like, pick up on a, a hot topic or something that everyone's into. Whether it's the, break, the you know, the, the new uh, movie franchise or the hot new international conflict that the u.s is involved in well that's uh, anything to, to grab attention that yeah. speaks to wrestling and and gimmicks specifically but wrestling more generally yeah. as in a lot of ways a reactive medium um oh, yeah. you know if you think of even what is now considered a successful or a classic gimmick like uh sting in his scorpion his blacks uh you know the crow phase oh yeah great example. Um, yeah. or that's a direct he, call out to the crow yep Face but, paint, presentation, everything. But Sting sort of outlived the reference. Yeah. I and, think more people are familiar with the Sting aesthetic as Sting than Crow. Or, or than even the Crow. Even a successful, if slightly less long-lasting example would be Razor Ramon, which was just Scarface yeah. ten years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Timely. Um, but that, that sort of reactive cultural gimmick where... You know, Vince McMahon looks at something and says, ah, oh, well, this is hot, or this was hot several years ago, <laughs> and um, decides that it's going to it's going to fill a spot on his variety show. And I think, again, going back to the idea of gimmick as a way to grab attention, if you're a, a relatively unaccomplished or undistinguished wrestler, and you can get five minutes on national TV every week dressing up like a barbarian and screaming, Huss, Huss, Huss! Then you're going to do it. Yeah. Or a magician. Yep. What was his name? Oh, God. The magician from WCW. He had like a white face Uh, mask. WrestleBot. WrestleBot, are you there? Who was... Uh, WrestleBot, who was the WCW uh, magician character? It was something like Fantastico or... Fantasmo, beep, bloop, I want to say. Calculating, calculating. Fantasio. 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 Uh, short-lived uh, magician gimmick uh, who he would actually do magic in, in the ring. Um, Just utterly yeah. baffling. 
Sorry. Like, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the, like, utter failures. And that's the thing, right? Like, the the gimmicks you're going to remember are going to be kind of so loud uh, Mm -hmm. and so over the top. Uh, And, and again, back to that point you brought very early is, you know, I think this is used in the industry a lot as a sort of reasoning, like, gimmicks can be uh, a sort of... uh, a source of where a performer might go to blame their lack of success. Uh Uh, But then there's a sort of response sometimes from those in the industry of like sort of a poor carpenter blames his tools, right? Like Uh you can make it work if you're a good performer. And I, I don't know where I fall on that line. I think like most things, like there's exceptions. There are some gimmicks that the greatest performer in the world couldn't get over, Uh but you know, there are some where it's like, you know, John Cena started out as like a thug white rapper guy, and like he made that work. Yeah, Bull through, Buchanan like, didn't get charisma. over with that, huh? Bull Buchanan didn't get that over. Good point. Good point. He he tried to get several things over, mm-hmm. and he never could. Right? Um, and you know, so there is that sense of like sometimes you know, can you sort of rise above? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that place where a gimmick just becomes a jumping off point. And it's very easy to think, okay, John Cena could have just been a white guy who like raps uh, at his opponents uh, before the, uh, in promos, like freestyle raps at them. That has a short shelf life. And so you have to change. You have to like add these nuances. Um, and, and, and that's what the sort of best ones can do. But they also have to have the opportunity to do that. Well, ju- jumping off the, the Bull Buchanan point, if you think about, um, and th- this is a particular type of wrestler that fascinates me, the wrestler who just churns through gimmicks. Oh, yeah. Good, um, yeah, good topic. Yeah. Um, because you'll, you'll see these guys throughout history, and I think, I think we should call this the Ed Leslie category of wrestler. <laughs> um, <laughs> just the, the guy who, over the course of a, a 10, 15 year career, he might have a new gimmick every 18 months and not just like, uh, he's tweaked this, he's wearing different types, but a completely new character. Um, and it's interesting to see, I I think the guy who will fumble around with several gimmicks, trying to find one, and then he'll find one that kind of works and then he'll leave it behind. Yeah. So, like in the case of, of Ed Leslie, who was several things, but probably most famous as Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. Uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He arrived at that point and became, in his era, a serviceable mid carter and quickly abandoned that gimmick. Uh, yeah. You know, as soon as, uh, really, seemingly at the first opportunity. And another guy that comes to mind is uh, Stevie Richards. Oh God, I, he is so fa- like he's one of my like dark horse favorite performers, and partly because of this like utility player. Yeah, is that is the sort of phrase I want to use for these because it's like you throw them something and they can do some crazy stuff with it. Steve- and, and yeah, Stevie Richards is a great case. Steve Stevie's gimmick was whatever it needed to be for that <laughs> yeah. week of television. The only ex- the only two extended periods I remember was at one point he decided he was dude love. Um, oh, lo- yeah. Long okay. after Mick Foley had stopped being dude love. 
And then the uh, the right to censor. Right to censor. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is probably his most long reign, which also had... Was Bull Buchanan and that? Bull Buchan- right? It was Bull Buchanan. Right. Okay. It was the As godfather, Valvinus and Ivory. Uh, excuse me, the good father. The good father, I'm sorry. This is well, whose just... gimmick, building off of... Building off of the professional gimmick, his profession was a pimp. Yep. Uh, only during the like edgy '90s Attitude Era, uh, who reformed his ways and became the Good Father and the Right to Censor, which was another sort of cultural response gimmick. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the WWE's commentary on sort of uh, public scrutiny against the WWE for being uh, overly. Uh, salacious and wanting it to be censored let's just make a group within our own organization that wants to censor us and we took the sort of most uh suggestive characters like our pimp the godfather and our porn star val venus Mm -hmm. uh and suddenly they become these sort of goody two shoes oh great gimmick you you had i I've, I've decided to go back and rename this the Charles Wright effect because Charles okay. Wright was, <laughs> yeah. was the good father. Yeah. Within, a yeah. ten, within a 10 year period, Charles Papa Wright Shango. was Papa Shango the Voodoo Master. He was Kama the Ultimate Fighting Machine, like a, a UFC type fighter. He was Kama Mustafa the Black Militant. He was the godfather of the pimp. He was the good father, the reform pimp. He was the godfather again as like an yeah. escort. Uh, right. Uh, He's totally slightly legitimate. more legit. Yeah. A yeah. slightly more legitimate pimp. He's not a pimp. He just runs a strip club. <laughs> yeah. It's always fun how they have to, like, bring him back in the, like, current era where it's like, we can't acknowledge his past. He went into the Hall of Fame last year. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Not as the good father. No. But, yeah. Stevie Richards, great case for that. Uh, and, yeah, just that. So I, I think the point you, you raised there is a good one is that we often think of you, you can think of gimmicks as a crutch, but it's also an opportunity sometimes to say, you know what, something's not working, but we believe in the performer or the performer is like, I want to make a change or the company says we need to make a change. And, and it's a way that you can sort of try to to build something back up and, you know, uh, have a second chance. Uh, and in some ways that can be super wonderful um, if they can sort of, uh, you know, overcome uh, the, the sort of original character. Uh, you know, Bray Wyatt yeah. is a case of this where he's, you know, Husky Harris, a terrible name and just wasn't working. And because now because of and this has changed because WWE now has their sort of minor leagues and their developmental system with NXT before that FCW Florida championship wrestling, Um, you know, they can send people back. It's kind of like, go back to the minor leagues, work on your skills. But in this case, you might become someone else, Uh, you know, and he came back and for a little bit, he was uh, uh, Bray Wyatt ended up being like some like Axel something. And he wore like a hockey mask that didn't last long. He eventually creates this cult leader, uh, this sort of like Bayou influence cult leader, and that sticks. And you're like, okay, something sticks. And then it works. And it's like, you know, he wasn't stuck where he was before. He had the time to kind of go back. Um, and that can be challenging uh, sort of in today's sort of in the know uh, audiences of like, oh, I know who that is. Yep. But you know, that's, that's part of where that suspension comes is like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to separate the character and the performer here. Uh, I, I know I'm talking a lot, but because I just went to this show, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, 
the former Adam Rose was there. Uh, This was a WWE wrestler. He got let go, fired, whatever the terminology. Uh, So he was touring as Aldo Rose because the other thing here is Adam Rose, the name was copyright by WWE. And this was a very sort of a straightforward gimmick. He was sort of a party rave guy. Mm -hmm. He would like, he always had the lollipop and he would like come out to this like happy dance music and be dancing around a lot. And so he had a gimmick before that called Kruger. Mm -hmm. And that was a sort of South African hunter, like a completely different gimmick. He was crazy. Yeah. Right. It's basically Craven the Hunter. And he had it for a little bit in WWE and NXT. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, they moved him to this party gimmick. That worked for a bit. He ends up on the independent scene at the show I was at. He was billed. He was on the card on the advertisements as Aldo Rose. But then before his match, he cut a promo where he's like, Aldo Rose is no more. I am now Kruger. Oh and he God. like announced... I am now this other gimmick <laughs> and, and it was fascinating. And I mean, this was him, you know, this happens because the audience, you know, for some of them knew that they knew, Hey, I know this guy three or four years ago was a character called Kruger. And now he's going to actually go revert back to that gimmick. And perhaps it's because he likes that gimmick more. Maybe he thinks it's a better one for him on the independent scene, that it has more of a reaction. Uh, maybe he was just bored of the other one. I don't know. Uh, but I found that fascinating because he could have changed a gimmick. He, you know, There's also the sense, do you want to like stick to the old gimmick? Because that's what people know you as. Uh, but he literally was like, I am now Kruger. And he was working so hard during his match to get that over. Like he would, he would be trying to get like Kruger chance and he would always shout his own name. And it was sort of this like reaffirmation of like, I am no longer that other gimmick you knew me as. So yeah. I, and th- that's a thing of, of also bringing in sort of independent scene and, and how much control you have. And it, it was a fascinating example of someone who has very distinct gimmicks, like nothing in common, like just sort of deciding uh, and telling us, so this is what, interesting, what is. though, about that happening in 2017 when yeah. – so he, he announces that, and of course it'll, it'll be on social media. I'm, I'm looking – it's on his Wikipedia page right now. But let's rewind the clock 40 years. Let's say he does this in the 70s. His gimmick could be going from town to town and announcing his gimmick change at <laughs> yeah. shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. This- I mean, especially, yeah, when, you, when you're in these older and you don't have as, like – frequent regular media appearances you know you can change you can try different stuff out i I think um i think there's one more type of gimmick that i want to cover before we bring our our, uh main section to a close and that is we've talked about the wrestler kind of outliving the gimmick i want to talk about the gimmick outliving the wrestler Oh gosh! Um, because yeah, they're sad. Yeah. Well, in some cases, literally outliving the wrestler, but more generally, um, there is a relatively small but you know enduring collection of gimmicks historically that have been passed from wrestler to wrestler to wrestler as sort of uh, an enduring crutch where you give the wrestler this this. 
a prefabricated identity that someone else has earned credibility in mm. as a way to either get that wrestler over or, as is more often the case, just convince audiences that, you know, oh, it's the same <laughs> guy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, the, the most recent example I can think of of this was Sin Cara in okay. WWE, yeah. who uh, debuted as uh, one wrestler uh, who's I'm forgetting the name of the wrestler is a relatively it was, famous Mexican. It was wrestler. Mystico. It was Mystico. Right? You're correct. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that was his sort of name when he was yeah. in Lucha promotions in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mystico comes in as Sin Cara. Mystico, because they don't want him to have his own name, right? Like they this can is trademark also, Sin Cara. Like, exactly. So this is also, yeah. Mystico comes in as Sin Cara. Mystico wrestles for a little while. He has some injury trouble. He doesn't quite get over the same way that he wants. Mystico's injured. He goes away. In comes, uh, I believe, Hunico? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. An- another Mexican wrestler. And he comes in as Sin Cara. Same gimmick, same mask. Then Mystico comes back, also as Sin Cara. And now they're blue versus black masks. Mystico defeats Hunico for the rights to be Sin Cara. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Mystico then has another short abbreviated run as Sin Cara. Hunico, meanwhile, is his own wrestler as Hunico. Mystico gets let go, and Hunico becomes Sin Cara again and is now wrestling on, I believe, uh, 205 Live in the Cruiserweight division as Sin Cara. Huh. Uh, I mean, that's also, uh, yeah, that's also, um, that also raises like, okay. Like one of the reasons you can do that, right. Is because it's this like masked luchador. Um, and this is kind of common in, in Lucha Libre, uh, where, uh, you'll have gimmicks are more passed down. I mean, it's different the way WWE is doing it because they're just sort of taking advantage of this sort of character brand they've already created but there is the sort of like you know uh there's the juniors of you know uh in 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 lucha libre where you sort of like these especially in lucha libre like sometimes the gimmick is the most important like you're wearing that mask to sort of be like i am this other being i am this other person and that kind of stuff is more transferable uh, is sort of what you're getting at here. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, you've got uh, octagons and pentagons and octagon junior and pentagon junior, like yep. these sort of like, and people can kind of make them their own. There's a sort of built in uh, heritage there. And, and that's a little bit different, I think, than a gimmick as we're explaining it. Um, uh, but it, it does speak to the, the sense that, uh, yeah, sometimes these things can be sort of transferred mm-hmm. or at least to the sense of like, or even just redone. And like, you know what? That gimmick was really good. Let's see if we can kind of do it again yeah, uh, with this other person. The other couple that come to mind for the U.S. specifically, one is Doink the Clown, who was several different <laughs> people, um, but Matt Bourne originally. And then uh, the older example I can think of is Mr. Wrestling. So there was Mr. Wrestling huh. 1, who was, yeah. uh, what was the name? It was uh, George Wooden. And then Mr. Wrestling 2, who was John Walker. Uh, interesting <laughs> Wikipedia fact. And may, who knows, maybe John Walker himself made this edit. Uh, apparently, he, Mr. Wrestling 2 was Jimmy Carter's favorite wrestler. Um, 
Oh man, maybe. I, don't know. Um, I, I do expect Jimmy Carter to be the most likely president to have a favorite wrestler. Right? Yeah. That... Besides, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, but that was like legit wrestling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not, not talking about the current wrestler president. Um, oh God, Jesus yeah. Christ. Sorry, I forgot our president's <laughs> in the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, what God. am I talking about? Oh, God. His favorite wrestler is Bobby Lashley. His favorite wrestler is Donald Trump. Uh, another day. Another yeah, day. Another day. That, uh, that's the politics and wrestling show. Anywho. Anywho. Gimmicks, right? What were we saying? Uh, I, I think we were we were saying, you, so you've got this, this broad spread of categories that function generally as wrestling shorthand you come in yeah. you say who is this guy and they tend to draw from a, a relatively you know robust historical bank so it's you know, this guy's gimmick is where he's from this guy's gimmick is his job this guy's gimmick is whatever is going to get a reaction this week maybe he has some you know mystical power yeah. right he's yeah. a ninja or something I, I, yeah like i think the root of john cena's rapper gimmick was his ability to actually freestyle rap to some degree yeah. and, and that's enough to to hang your hat on and i think yeah that, i mean again back to like you know do you want you, you there are gimmicks where it's like all right anyone can do this we'll just give it to him but then there's the sense of like what works for the performer and like john cena had a skill of freestyle rapping so yeah can you use your skills so the, the gimmick itself as this idea, as this way to make a wrestler stand out, um, I, I think history is littered with examples of it's, it's usually enough to, if you're doing it well and you've got the right opportunity and the right exposure, it's enough to get you on TV, but the list of gimmicks that have then in and of themselves carried you to stardom is is pretty short. I mean, if you look at pure gimmick wrestlers who became real headliners um, in the last 25 years. I mean, you think of The Undertaker, Kane, Bray Wyatt, and each of those performers put so much of themselves into it. So yeah. a, a gimmick is a necessary but insufficient condition in uh, in a lot of these cases. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really uh that's a really good way to sort of to sum this up. Um, you know, it's it's a shorthand both in terms of uh like for the gimmick itself, but also a way in how fans sort of talk about these things. Um, like, oh, like I think this is a really good gimmick or something, or like I like this idea. And yeah, and they change over time and it's you know, it's most you know, it's like a lot of things like they're never a lot of them. It's hard to be like, oh, this is going to be good right from the beginning because you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, how it's going to turn out. You don't know how the performers are going to do it. And then also how gimmicks play off of each other. Right. Uh, when you start mm-hmm. mixing like such fantastical worlds, like we've been d- discussing a lot of crazy examples and then you got to throw them together. Yeah. Um, so you've got, uh, you know, uh yeah, like Slaughter, uh, Slaughter and the Iron Sheik bounces well off of each other, right? But Tugboat and Repo Man don't necessarily. Maybe no, or even you know, like I, I don't know. Like we never saw the you know a more supernatural Undertaker versus like you know Daniel Bryan or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like those are very like different sort of characters and that's not to say that they can't work together but like that's part of the other 
sort of like majesty of gimmicks <laughs> is like, okay, a gimmick can be exciting on its own, but like sometimes the best things are when they end up working together. Right. And so Stone Cold Steve Austin, again, we talked kind of elevates it, but like one of the reasons it got elevated is because he had the boss character to sort of play off of. And then even when you brought in the sort of ministry of darkness, which was like undertaker at his most like dark uh. and cultish. I mean, you're, you're groaning. I was like really into it as a kid. And I, and I look back on it with shame. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a product it's so, of its time, but at the moment so you were ready to buy in, but it's so like, it was over the top. He's like this kind of, again cultish like he's leading it's called the ministry he would abduct people and then change their gimmick into his gimmick basically <laughs> right like i'm gonna that's what he did he was like yeah. oh bradshaw and farouk like i'll take you now you're acolytes of mine uh uh was it um there's midian and visceral mabel I'm going to turn you into this dark, twisted version of yourself, right? And I mean, that was kind of ridiculous, but he ended up being the sort of avatar for that. And and that, you know, how well was that feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin? I mean, that that was yeah. pretty great. It was okay, right? Yeah. And it, like, it made no sense. You've got this, no. like, redneck who, like, drinks a bunch of beer, feuding against, like, a master of dark occult. And but, of course, and he, was, he was ultimately it, a, a corporate pawn in the end. Oh, damn it. Don't. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I, lo- I really like to believe that Jim Ross didn't know who was on. Oh, I don't think he did. And on I don't think reveal, he did. He, that, that was genuine frustration at the story. We'll, we'll maybe talk about this again when we discuss commentators, but it's one of my favorite Jim Ross calls of all time. Not Maybe not my favorite, but oh, son of a bitch. Um <laughs> But yeah, a little bit of a tangent, but that's, I think that's another thing to think about and to sort of catch us up to the present. Gimmicks are still there. Uh, I don't think they're as prominent as they used to be. Um, Often, again, it's usually early in someone's career and then it sort of gets either abandoned or like sort of forgotten. Um, And characters are, it's almost like a proving ground. And so, you know, they start with these very two dimensional spaces and then you can start adding things. So like, you know, Los Matadors was like, Jesus Christ. Like these are just like two Matadors and they're, but they're doing so much better than the shining stars. Oh yeah. Jesus Christ. But like, you know, so that stuff's still there, but I think that's also just like, we don't have the creative energy for this. (laughs) So we're just gonna, so it becomes a shorthand for the, creative side too where it's like you know what i don't want to put any info into this but these things can change kofi kingston used to be jamaican he's still called kofi kingston but he's not jamaican uh and now that's not his gimmick and we don't even think about it even though his name is kofi kingston yep like go back and watch those promos you're like what the hell what's going on i'm gonna suggest going back and watching on youtube the new day time machine segment from last year oh yeah time machine broke down in 2009 and kofi became his jamaican gimmick again for about 30 seconds yes and there are there are fun moments of wrestlers sort of acknowledging their their gimmick gimmicked past in history uh and again, that's one of the things that makes them fun. You know, they expand beyond careers and throughout careers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, that puts a bow on it. 
So I all right, yeah. And it. I mean, ring it, ring it. Oh no! Yeah, yeah no, it's over. It's over. Son of a bitch. Uh, but uh, I think, but the I think that moves us on uh, to our our next segment, which uh, I have another possible name change here. It, uh, it, it had our, been homework. Well, that's for a recommendation. Okay. I'm thinking for an obscure fact. How about a little bit of extra credit? Oh, I like it. A little it. bit of extra credit here. Uh, see, this is where this is appropriate because I think this is the episode where this podcast's gimmick. Yep. It's really comes coming around, together. Yeah. Right? We're Our gimmick is it's a classroom. It's education. Tucking. We're Matt Stryker. Oh, God. <laughs> no. No. He was, oh. no. He was a teacher gimmick, uh, for those who don't know, for a little while. And now he's uh, a mediocre announcer. He's so excited, though. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. Our podcast, if you will, has a gimmick, right? In education and professional wrestling. So, uh, to continue with that gimmick, uh, I think for... Uh, to this this next segment it's called extra credit. Uh, it's where we give you a little a little obscure fact uh, about wrestling, uh, something uh, you probably don't know uh, or is at least interesting. Uh, and if if you don't mind, I, I'd like to give the extra Please credit do. this week. Uh, again, building off the show I just went to uh, and building off the show we just had here about gimmicks. Uh, uh, today's uh, extra credit is. Uh, a an independent wrestler called Eric Cannon. That's Eric with an A. Uh, who is apparently, according to himself uh, and other sources, the only wrestler officially sponsored by Pabst Blue Ribbon. Mm. Uh, that's right. Uh, your obscure fact today is that there is a wrestler sponsored by PBR, uh, every college student's favorite cheap beer. Um, and I got to see uh, Mr. Cannon uh, at the show I went to. Mr. Cannon's uh, his father. Yeah. It's bizarre because I think his gimmick otherwise is like anarchist. Uh, like like he says anarchy a lot and his move is like an anarchy something. <laughs> and, which is all, bizarre. That's all for... anarchists do. They just walk around saying anarchy. Kind of, yeah. So, um, but... He was in this four-way scramble match, which meant like only two people in the ring at a time. If anyone gets knocked out of the ring, another person comes in. And so Eric Cannon was like happy to just be on the outside. And there was like, it's like, get in the Ming. And he's like, I'm not coming. And the guy's like, will you do it for this PBR? Which he like pulls out of a bag on the side of the stage. Like it was a total cartoony, like. It's his Scooby snack. Exactly. I like, I think I had the same thought. I was like, did they just pull out tricks for the rabbit? Like, and he's, and the guy and Eric Hans like, I got to get in the ring and get this PBR. Uh, and like the rest, there is a whole sequence in the match built around like, like the guy like smashed the can and like he hit it in the turnbuckle. Uh, and then he found it later and they were started selling PBRs at the concession stand. So uh, yeah, apparently uh, maybe this is the future of wrestling is where gimmicks are just brands extensions of brands and so your gimmick is skittles you know, fruity pebbles yeah. in john cena's case yeah i don't know yeah like your gimmick is uh you know uh uh taco bell and so your gimmick is that like 
You're open late? Oh, I don't know. No, no. Like, don't, don't say, you know that at some point Vince McMahon <laughs> is sitting backstage saying, oh, oh, I've got this, got this Mexican wrestler. His gimmick's going to be Taco Bell. That's true. That's true. Uh, that, that got us back on the ethnic train. Uh, uh, uh the, the, the train to racist town. Um, but, uh, yeah, Eric Cannon, uh, if you're in the Chicago area, I think he actually is on a lot of stuff. Um, Same. looks like he's done, uh, Chikara, Dragon Gate, um, things like that. Uh, but yeah, he, so I guess he has the sponsorship. I, I don't know the details of that, uh, economic relationship, but he has it on his, his t-shirt he sells has like PBR logo. He had it on his, on his trunks, uh, and he also has incorporated it into his gimmick. So uh, corporate gimmicks, that's not like the corporation gimmick. Corporate gimmicks, maybe the next step. Wave of the future. And I am. Yeah. So that that uh, that is good. I like the extra credit segment. I think that that, that is yeah. one theme. It's consistent with the gimmick. And now we'll move to <laughs> the final part of the show, which is our homework segment. This is where we recommend you go check something out that uh, that is tangentially related to our topic of conversation. And uh, if you don't mind, yeah. I, I will dole out an assignment first. Please, um, please. I'm going to recommend folks, if they're, they're interested in kind of our discussion on gimmicks and gimmick development, uh, about, uh, I'm going to say a year and a half ago, maybe a little longer, ESPN did a really interesting E360 documentary uh, on WWE's developmental branch in NXT. Uh, it was about an hour long, and it really focused on three wrestlers, uh, one of whom was Corey Graves, who's now an announcer on Monday Night Raw, and was kind of about his transition from being a wrestler to an announcer. But the other two were uh, Austin Matthews, who wrestles as Xavier Woods, a member of the New Day, and hmm. the aforementioned Ray LePan, a.k.a. Adam Rose, a.k.a. Aldo Rose, a.k.a. Kruger. <laughs> That's and, right, yeah. Uh, each of them are kind of at a different stage of their development in the course of this show. And I, I think uh, LePan's section is maybe the most interesting and relevant because his narrative over the course of this documentary is about how he reconceived his gimmick from being Kruger to being Adam Rose. And what was the right. impetus for doing that? And what was sort of the creative process that led to that? How did he work backstage with the, the team there to develop the different aspects of that character? And, you know, re regardless of what has happened to his career since that point, the central thrust of the show was he was Kruger and had reached about as far as he was going to go with that. And he became Adam Rose, not necessarily to make himself a, a main event star, but to get him to that next level where he could make it to the big show. Uh, and it's, it's a really interesting portrayal of a wrestler going through that process. Uh, so I would, I'm sure it is, uh, it is available uh, either on ESPN in their video archive or on uh, potentially on YouTube. So strongly recommend it. That's uh, E360 uh, WWE Behind the Curtain. Great, great suggestion. And love how that ended up tying in uh, everything. Um, yeah, uh, that's nice to have this sort of uh, look behind the sort of creative process. Um, and especially, again, I think 
uh, as that pointed out, you know, the sort of collaborative nature, especially now as WWE works with its developmental program. Um, I'll do something sort of similar in that uh, it, it, my recommend, my homework uh, will be a little similar in that it's about the sort of genesis of, of gimmicks. And, and, and I'm going to recommend uh, a, a DVD put out uh, by uh, WWE uh, called CM Punk Best in the World. Oh, yeah, uh, so good. It's one of their best uh, sort of collected DVDs. Uh, they used to put these out a lot more before the network. Uh, and I think it's available on the network. Yeah, if not, it's, sure. on, uh, it's on DVD as well on Amazon. Uh, not that expensive. Uh, you also might be able to rent it places. I think it actually used to be on Netflix, but uh, I don't I'm believe like it's ninety percent because sure it's of on their network. I know it used yeah, to, yeah. Be, but I think it's still there. Um, and it, it's you know, I uh, CM Punk's a, a fascinating figure, and it's very interesting to watch this in retrospect. Uh, <laughs> you know, given his fallout, his very public fallout with the company. But uh, part of the documentary, he talks about you know his early days before the WWE, sort of how he came to uh, basically the character that he had, which, as he says, isn't far from himself. Um, And he sort of discusses, similar to sort of the case you brought up, but more on the independent scene, uh, you know, he tried different things, you know, and a lot of his early attempts at gimmicks were just sort of the stuff he saw on TV, right? What are people doing? I'll just try to act like that. And he was like, and he's seen, and as, and as he tells it, so again, we always want to take that with a grain of salt, but, you know, none of that worked. And he said his girlfriend at the time told him, like, well, why don't why you don't just, just like, like act like you normally act? And, and one of the one of the things that I find so fascinating, fascinating about him is really, really the closest thing that he has to sort of set gimmick was was he straight straight and that and that is a lifestyle choice that was true to himself before starting that. And it was sort of the thing that made him unique, especially in the world of professional wrestling, where there's often a lot more drug use or alcohol and and he sort of latched in on that and just sort of, and, and he explains this in the documentary, sort of turned it up and just made it was like, okay, how can I be who I am, but just make myself sort of more unlikable or things like that. And so if I just, you know, lecture people more uh, and, and there's ways where I think he even describes it almost as therapeutic, uh, mm-hmm. the sense of like, you know, being able to sort of, uh, make these feelings known. So it's an interesting case. Uh, you know, it's a long DVD collection. It also shows a lot of his matches and his, and his uh, career. Uh, all of it's fantastic. But uh, even in those early days, I think, uh, yeah, look at how he talks about, you know, as an independent wrestler, thinking through the process of, uh, again, how am I going to get noticed? And, you know, for him, there was this sense of like, oh, I'm going to sort of own it and make it who I am personally and sort of change that over time. Um, But that could also explain why he sort of was so attached to his, uh, his presentation uh, and part of why uh, he had a bit of a reputation for being uh, uh, very prickly uh, with his presentation on TV is because I guess he saw so much of himself in the gimmick. So uh, anyway, uh, I remember those lines very, uh, particularly of his sort of like 
identifying himself in the character and the character in himself. I really uh, to put it in a sort of Tobias Funke way. <laughs> yeah, the man inside of <laughs> the me. The man inside me, yeah. I really like that recommendation, and I like the example of punk specifically, who we don't really think of as a gimmick wrestler no. in the same way, but if you look at from his arc on the indies up through his time in WWE, I'd say up until the pipe bomb, where he kind of morphed into the voice of the voiceless character, everything was a variation on the straight edge piece. It was, mm-hmm. you know, he's the straight edge baby face in ECW and then on the, on the bigger shows. And then he becomes uh, in his feud with Jeff Hardy, the exactly. sort of preacher, preachy straight edge. And then he becomes uh, straight, straight edge, edge society. society. And Love it. it. It's, it's but all they were of, right. Yeah. It, they were all different and they were all sort of building on one another, but it's sort of variations on that theme until he got to to that point where I don't I wouldn't say he really abandoned it, but he started he in some sense he grew beyond that being the core component of his presentation. Yeah, yeah. I mean I guess yeah, the only thing like the next segment would almost be the sort of shoot era or the like reality era thing where his character was basically like, I'm the character who's basically myself who like, you know, voices his like anger at the business itself and the way it's run I you know a w- yeah where w where wwe got like really up its own ass um and sometimes it was amazing mm-hmm. as but it could also be like way up there uh almost like community or something where sometimes <laughs> it's great but then sometimes you're like jesus like you know not everything has to be a like reflecting in on yourself um but yeah uh it's it's like one of those things where it's a small little detail. At this case, I'm a guy who's straight edge. And like all that is is a character. It's not a gimmick. It's just like a defining trait. Mm-hmm. It's a feature. But what can you do with it? You can be a guy who like is very great. And it's like my only addiction is competition. And you can be a self-centered asshole who's like thinks he's better than everyone else because he's straight edge. And it's like, and that is almost... Yeah. And one of the reasons why I, I love him so much as a performer is because it's there's a natural line there and there it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm a bad guy now mm-hmm. because now I'm like angry and I hit people that are good guys like Dolph Ziggler is the same character he is now that he was before that he was before. He was a bad guy. People started cheering him. He's a good guy. He's never changed, yeah. really. Um, and that happens, I think, a lot now. Um, and so that was something that punk could do really well was like, you know, the gimmick didn't necessarily have to be good or bad. You could, you could tweak these things. So I can just imagine, um, um, I I was kind of checked out of wrestling when a lot of this was happening. I can just imagine you in college when punk turned on, uh, on Jeff Hardy and had that feud with him, just eating it up. Oh my God. That's my favorite. I mean, it's incredible. Not to get, I mean, and not to get personal here. Like I, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. And as a, a younger kid in college, like, you know, that's a tough thing to be. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I know my bias with Hardy will, or with, with punk will always be in part, like, like there wasn't a lot of representations of, of that. Uh, so I didn't establish myself as like straight edge because there's a whole other cultural baggage there, but um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and I loved because it was like, Oh, he's now becoming a dick about it. And 
And it made me actually like reflect on the ways I acted. I'm like, oh man, sometimes maybe I'm a dick about <laughs> drinking the way punk is. But he was totally right. Like, <laughs> even though he was the bad guy in that feud, Jeff Hardy was a literal drug addict at the time. Like, he was clearly in the right. And then he ended up like literally beating him out of the WWE in a loser leaves WWE match. And that was the last we saw of Jeff Hardy. And Jeff has right? never been back. I mean, I don't think he ever went back no. because of his drug issues. So and, and I, I think like everything that I, right. everything <laughs> that I have, have heard in kind of recent years, you know, Jeff is obviously he's active in TNA and he's cleaned himself up and kind of having, yeah. having that Renaissance in his career. But for the audience for whom WWE is the world of wrestling, uh, Jeff Hardy's career ended when CM Punk kicked him out of the WWE. Yep, yep, yep. And had one of my greatest moments where he, CM Punk came out to his Jeff Hardy's music uh, and is dressed makeup. up. And yeah, it was great. It was just fantastic heel trolling uh, 100%. But yeah, so check that out. Cool. Then uh, I think, and hey, look, we got to stick with our gimmick here. Uh, Thank you for listening to us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at SmartenUpPod. You can find us on Facebook at SmartenUp. You can uh, email us at SmartenUpPod at gmail.com. Uh, Drew, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I'm also on Twitter at DZolidis. It's D-Z-O-L-I-D-E-S. Uh, feel free to send me a message anytime. Mm-hmm. And I am on Twitter at Stefan Claypool, S-T-E-F-A-N-C-L-A-Y-P-O-O-L. And if you'll permit me, Drew, uh, class is adjourned. <laughs> oh, God. oh, God, it's awful. It is! Well, now at least ring the bell has multiple meanings, so... Oh, crap, I gotta get to biology. <laughs> oh, I, I slept through my test. Oh, and I'm gosh. in my underwear. That, are, we gonna have a, <laughs> are we gonna have a new character now who's like the Spicoli yeah. of our class? Yeah, and uh, he's gonna have a dream about a match and a cat's gonna pin him. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that, my friend. Oh, all goodness. All right. Thank you cool. for listening. Au are we still? Oh, we're still doing this? <laughs> I'm assuming the music's going right now. Yep, this is. It's not. Now it's it's the end of Ferris Bueller. You're still.